Well, I'm very glad to be here. I will keep my initial comments short. Preachers sometimes, including me, have a tendency to talk the length of the sermon and then have a sermon the length of the talk. And so I, I prefer not to do that this morning. But I've never been in Dallas before, but uh, I enjoyed Steve meeting Steve meet me at the airport last night, and it wasn't but a few minutes, and I felt at home, and the Esther's home was taking good care of me. I got my cup of coffee this morning, and my world was spinning in a grease groove, and I, I'm just doing fine, and uh, just very thankful to be here. Uh, Jason Finn, a good friend of mine, come walking in the door this morning. He didn't expect to see him, and he didn't expect to see me, but it's a, it's a joy. He means the world to me. And he's been in the North Carolina area where I'm at, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, he's transferring from PepsiCo there to, to, he has transferred in a job, and his, his wife and the rest of the family will be coming along soon. But uh, he, he has been a great encouragement to me. Um, when my wife, Debbie, and I moved to Charlotte about th- three, a little over three years ago, um, we, did, we needed support. It's a, it was a fledgling work. And the church here picked up some of that support and, and have not only supported me steadily in that and shown some, I think, some great characteristics as elders as they've reached out to find out about the work, but you all have, have been uh, so supportive. A number of you have sent letters to me and cards to me and some emails to me in the course of these last three years. And you may think that that has gone unknown. I can't, I can't say your names. But I just want you to know that that just pops in your life, and uh, it is just such an encouragement. So keep up the good work. I'm appreciative of what I see this morning. I, I, I loved our class. I loved the comments of the brethren. And uh, I'll just be frank with you. I'm not much on pomp and circumstances. I'm, I'm just a simple man. And that seems to be the spirit that I see conveyed. Again, I, I'm just new here, but I love that. And I think that reflects well on God and the earnestness of your faith. And God bless you all. Not met Ken before, but glad to meet him. I look up to him, as you all do. I'm going to leave these introductory comments. And uh, like I say, I could talk uh, a lot about my family and, and how honored I am to be a Christian. God treats me wonderfully. And I'm trying to learn to trust him more. And I hope I, hope I never lose that. Because he is faithful, the problem is me. And so I just, I just want to draw near to him until eventually I'll be able to be in his presence for eternity. I want to talk with us this morning about a subject of free will. This subject is uh, one that I've been preaching on a lot. I've taught this lesson a lot of places because I believe it's a, it's a very practical lesson. And it's helpful and sometimes it can clarify some things for us. But also it can encourage us. It can strengthen us. And sometimes when the going gets really tough, then it tells us, I just need to keep my course about me, and God will bring me through. He has empowered me with the ability to do that. And so as we talk about free will for just a couple moments this morning, we want to ask, you know, what is free will? And then we're also we're going to uh, say a little bit about what does that mean to you and me? and some facts to consider about free will. And so this is my initial chart. The good thing, I don't have many charts, and so that gives you great hope. Free will is the ability to choose our course of life, to choose uh, ourselves, what we will do, where we will go, what we will be. For example, 
you choose who you will marry. You, you make many choices in life. Another definition that I have down here is free will is the ability to choose between different possible courses of action. It is closely linked to the concepts of responsibility, praise, guilt, sin, and other judgments which apply only to actions that are freely chosen. It is also connected with the concepts of advice, persuasion, deliberation, and prohibition. And so what that says is that the idea of free will carries a lot with it. As we come to God, we do so out of the free will He has given us. We choose to serve Him. We choose to draw near to Him. We choose to do right or wrong. We choose. We'll see God has empowered us with that. Now, animals don't have that same capability. Sometimes animals do some amazing things, and they can be trained to jump through hoops and do some things, and they show some uncanny uh, activities. But, but that is, is what we would just call instinct in them. God has given them certain attributes, and they vary broadly between different animals. But he made us different. He made us with the ability to be able to see and to reason, to rationalize, to come to some conclusions, to see beyond ourselves, to be told about things that will come, and we can understand and think about those things. I heard a man say one time, he says, I've seen many a, a man from a different con country, maybe from India or Africa or China or someplace, walking the streets of uh, maybe New York City because they chose to get on a plane and fly over here and, and make that trip. But I've never seen a kangaroo who's hopping down the street of New York because he chose to, to make that trip. Somebody may have captured him and brought him over here. But we are uniquely made, as the book of Genesis tells us, and God put within us this ability to choose this matter of free will. You can think with me of passages like Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That, that is overwhelmed. It is, it is laden with this concept of free will. You choose where you will go. Now Joshua says, for me and my house, I'm leading my home and I know where we're going. <laughs> you all have to choose what you will do, but God has empowered you to be able to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, Moses said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live and your descendants after you. Every scripture that calls upon us to do right calls upon us to make a choice and reflects this matter of free will. Some of the things that we'll notice about free will is that God will not overrule our free will. He, he empowered us by giving this free will. It's not that God can't. It's not that God's arm is short that he couldn't. But by his will, he has chosen not to do that. And I may not and do not understand all the ramifications of that or all the reasons, maybe. But he made us in such a way, and he has testified to us, he will not step across our free will. Now, what he will do is he will encourage us. He will set before us, as we just read, life and death. He will try to discourage us from wrong ways, and he will try to encourage us in right ways. He sets promises before us, and, and he even says in his word, if we will listen to him and follow him and love him, we can take on more and more his nature and that of his son. We can become more like him, but we have been empowered by him to make those choices. Again, God himself will not overrule our free will. And I think that that is, that is a critical point. And by giving us free will, God has 
limited itself in some ways. There's a passage, and, and this comes from the King James, this particular rendering, in, in Psalm chapter 78, verse 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. God limited himself by giving us free will in some ways. And you can see maybe some parent in, in this from, a, from an analogy. Uh, a parent has saved up and, and worked and sweat to save a little bit of money, maybe to, to send a, a son or a daughter to school and, and to provide some good things for them. They get to that point, I don't want any of that. And they go their own way. Well, the picture is here. God is taking his people into the promised land. I have so much good for you. And it's interesting to me, the first couple of verses of Deuteronomy says they were only 11 days away when they were at Mount Sinai, 11 days away from the south end of all that. And you know, it took them 40 years to get there plus. God had provided, but they limited him being able to pour these blessings out upon them because they would not trust him and they would not obey him. But he empowered them just as he empowers us that they might choose. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29, the people said, we'll hear all that God has to say and we'll do it. And he says in verse 29, boy, they have, verse 20, they've said exactly right. But in verse 29, oh, but they had such a heart that they would actually hear what I say and do it. The words are right, but they have not willed to do that. And, of course, we see that play out as the Old Testament history does. In Matthew 23, 37, as Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who, who kills the prophets and stones those that I send to you. How many times I want to be like this hen who gathers a little chick under my wings, but you were unwilling. We won't have it. You ever think about a time in your life where it's what you said? This is what God wants? And you said, well, I'm not having it. I'm not willing. Sometimes in sin, and this is a passage that's been helpful to me. You know, I, I'm a slow learner. I'm telling you, I'm a slow study. And I thought when I was first preaching for a while, when I, I discussed something with someone, and I'd lay out my arguments, and, and they didn't get it. I thought, I just need to do a better job. I, I need to pull this together, and I often I needed to do a better job. And so, okay, I'll I work this out. I'm going to nail this thing down airtight. And you present it, and what happens? They still didn't get it. <laughs> they did get it. I mean, well, they didn't get it. <laughs> They were not willing. I'm not going that way. And that has been a powerful, powerful thing. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21. The woman known there as Jezebel, who's seducing God's servants, I gave her time to repent, but she was not willing. This passage has been helpful to me. Because there are times we'll try to get people to straighten up to change their attitudes, to change their life, to change their behavior, but they are just not willing. And our Lord, when He walked on the earth, tried to get certain people to change. Unfortunately, many of those events in the Gospel accounts were religious people. They were Jewish people. And Jesus was trying to get them to change, but they were unwilling. And sometimes he, he, would, he could tell these stories and these parables to bring this, I mean, right in their face. And, and anybody could see it, but they were still unwilling. Because God was trying, but they wouldn't. You know, even throughout the time of the New Testament, when the miracles were actively taking place, and God was certainly influencing with his word, the miracles were taking place, he still chose his word to impact people and to turn them. In uh, Acts 8, 9, and 10, three occasions there, 
you see that um, in chapter 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch was going down the road, the, the, an angel and the Spirit was involved, but sent Philip to it. In chapter 9, here's Saul of Tarsus, and he's going to persecute Christians. The Lord appears to him there in that vision, and all that happened. He didn't tell him what to do. He sent him to Damascus. There he'll be told you what to do. I'm going to send Ananias to you. And in chapter 10, the man Cornelius. Here's an angel. And still a man, Peter, was sent to preach to him. In the time when miracles were taking place, God used his word powerfully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Let me mention something here that I, I meant to mention earlier. And this is just a concept I have. There are certain things in life, certain attributes that I have that I just have. You know, I'm never going to be as tall as Ken, and I'm never going to be as short as my wife unless somebody cuts my legs off. I have certain physical attributes. I have certain mental capacities. I, if I wanted to be a brain surgeon, I could, I could go till I was old, 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 and I still couldn't get I don't have that that's not in me. I don't have the dexterity. I don't have there's certain physical and mental capacities that way. But on the other side of that, there are many things that God has empowered me with. I have to make decisions about how to use what he has given me. My illustrations like this. Uh, someone someone made a statement years ago and I, I liked it. And it said it just you just got to play the hand that you're dealt. And I think about this matter of free will and what's been put into place is like I'm dealt a hand of cards. Okay, this is what I've got. But now the free will comes in. That's, that's what's determined. The free will comes in where I have to figure out, okay, how am I going to play? What God has given me. The abilities, the opportunities. What choices will I make? Will I trust Him and go forward in what He has instructed me? That's my choice. That's my free will. And so take what you have and serve God. If you had a little bit of nothing and you're laying on a bed and you're sick and you're about ready to die, still use that opportunity and what you have to glorify God. Soon you'll be with Him. If you're the simplest of people like I am, you just go forward and use what you can to serve God. If you have great abilities and capacities in whatever way God has empowered you, use it to His glory in everything. That's your choice. That's your choice. In every nation. I've, I've spent a lot of time out of this country. I've spent time in India and Africa. I've been in Belize just a short time, different places in Africa. But you know what? People are people. And the gospel is the same gospel. And God's will is the same will of God. And people just have to choose, just like we do here. And sometimes our stuff and our, our fancy trappings and our refinements get us in so much trouble. And sometimes I see people that have a little bit of nothing whose faith rise so high they just dwarf me. And I thank God for them. I think of James chapter 2 where it talks about those poor people in that text. He, he, he made the poor to be great in faith. And so we choose what we will do wherever we are. And it is true that not even God will overrule our free will, but it is also true that the devil cannot and this is a great comforting thing to me in this study. That he may try to make you think that he can overcome you, but he does not have that power. He may use incentives. He may make promises. He may make threats. He, he may lie to you, which he 
does, he'll tell you whatever you want to hear if he can make the sale. But only you can choose to cave in. We go back to Eve and we think about that scenario as it unfolded in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. He could not make her eat of that tree, but he could tell her what she wanted to hear. He could play to her ego. He could play to, to those appetites that she had, and then she had to choose. And then Adam fell right in behind that. We can think of men like Job. We can think of Daniel. One of my favorite examples is Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, the devil was doing everything he could to keep them from being faithful to God. You remember the big image that was made? And remember the king said, you, when, the, when all the, the noise takes place, you bow down and worship. And here's a myriad of people. I don't know, hundreds, thousands of people. There, lots of people had to be there, obviously. And so here's three guys still standing when the whole crowd. It been sort of nice if he'd said, everybody stand, and they could have stayed down. But it didn't work that way. I might have wanted to stand this way a little bit or something. You know, but, but they didn't. And so the king says, maybe you didn't get it the first time. If you don't bow down... You're going to the fiery furnace. You know that story. I tell you, the fiery furnace and all that stuff comes back to your mind. That story tells you so much. And they said, King, you do whatever you want. Our God is able to deliver us whether he chooses to or chooses not to. That's his business. We will not. The devil could not make them. He can throw everything in his book at them and at you and me. He cannot make us be unfaithful to God. And God has empowered me and empowered you that we can choose to stand where God would have us to stand. And we can do so with confidence and with peace because He is the Almighty. There was a story one time. I'll tell you how old I am. I can remember when they made it a law that you had to have seatbelts in new cars. I remember a time where there weren't seatbelts in cars. And there was a story back then about a, a mama. She was driving to town. Little Johnny was standing in the back seat. And mama said, Johnny, sit down. And Johnny said, I don't want to sit down. Mama said, Johnny, sit down. And that happened a second time. And then finally Johnny sat down. And she looked up at her mom and says, well, my body is setting, but my insides are still standing. <laughs> I can just imagine that. I sort of experienced that. <laughs> probably done that but free will is certainly a powerful thing don't let satan deceive you into thinking because of where i work i can't do right or where i live i can't do right that's your choice the question is will i do what's right it may cost you and it may cost you a lot and if it does it will not cost you more than what it will bless you in the long run God will always hold up his end. He'll take care of his end. And if I leave this world without a dime to my name, a possession to my ownership, it really won't matter. But if I die not having chosen to obey God and to follow him and to live for him, even though I gain the whole world, I lose. God has empowered you with this free will to choose to serve him or not. A statement that I ran across some time ago was that human will is perhaps the strongest force in this earth. And I leave it in that general thing, but the devil can't overcome it. God made things such that he won't, and so you choose.
You know, even pagans can change their mind if they want to. You remember Acts 17.30, the time of ignorance got overlooked. But now he commands men everywhere to come to repentance. There, and he's given assurance, he's given the evidence. He raised Jesus from the dead and he's coming again to judge. That's the evidence that he gives there in verse 30 and 31 of Acts 17. So that all men can see, not only from the evidence of the creation, but here is one of many evidences he's given by the death and the resurrection of his son so that we have to make a choice. And by the way, that's at the heart of repentance, isn't it? The word repentance means to think differently afterward than we thought before, a change of mind. That's in the heart of this matter of free will. Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she would not. And so if I'm not where I need to be, well, I changed my mind about that. God gave you the ability to do that even this very day. There are a lot of things this matter of free will explains. This matter of free will explains, number one, the tree in the Garden of Eden. Here's this perfect garden. As you look in, in this first three chapters of Genesis, God made everything in chapter 1. It was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good is his last statement there. Chapter 2 gives some more details. It describes this, this perfect garden. And God gave them the responsibilities to tend to that. That was for their good. And he said, you can eat of any tree of this except this one tree. Well, why mess that up? If everything's perfect, everything is great in this garden, and it was. There could be no expression. There could be no usage of free will without a choice. And so God puts this tree in the garden, at least for one reason, to see, will men obey me or not? Will Adam and Eve listen to me and submit to my will, or will they choose otherwise? And of course, you know the liar came along in chapter 3, and you know the rest of that story. But this matter of free will gives uh, at least one insight into those very things. Secondly, sin being in the world and why God would allow such. This matter of free will tells us about that. You know, oftentimes a great argument that, that unbelievers give is, well, if there is really a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and He is holy and good, why is there wickedness in the world? Either He is not all-powerful because He can't do anything about it, or he's not all good because he's not doing anything about it. Obviously, this horrible terrorist act here, this abuse of some child, abduction or whatever, that takes a, surely if God was good and he was powerful enough, he would take care of that. And I tell you, that's pretty sound reasoning. But it's, it's like what happened to so many math problems that I, that I worked on when I was growing up. I didn't work all the parts of it. <laughs> and one of the things that is not taken inside of that is this matter of free will. With the ability to choose right and wrong, to choose to do good or evil, there are consequences that come with that. Sometimes those directly impact me. Sometimes they not only directly impact me, they may impact other people. And much of the wickedness that goes on in the world is a direct result of the fact that we have been made creatures with free will, and when men choose to be evil and practice injustice, you look at the Ecclesiastes, that's sort of a low ebb in that book, when he looked around, he saw all the injustice that's going on in the world. Free will is at least a, a major piece of that pie of an explanation of that. Now, that's not the end of the story. Every human being will stand before God in judgment to give an account. The accounts will be settled. The wrongs will be righted. 
And so just understand that, Christians. But again, the question is, what do I choose to do? Bad things happen to good people. I don't always know why. Sometimes I do. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it seems this way, and sometimes I just don't know. But I know who to trust, and I know the will of God is always right and true. It also tells us something about the difficulty of parenting. Some have a misconception of, of passages like Proverbs 22 and verse 6. If I train them up in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That that is set in concrete, but that's a rule of thumb. And this idea is powerful. We need to raise our children. And our society, our government, our schools, they want to, they want to take kids away from parenting and, and take care of that. But in the very core of God's creation, He made the home as an entity where we raise our children. I'm not against school. I'm not against the church having Bible classes, but I am against any entity taking my responsibilities away from me as a parent, as a grandparent, to influence my children in the way of God as they grow up. Now, here's something that's really encouraging and also scary. As we've already said, not even the devil can make me be unfaithful to God. That gives me great encouragement. I, I, God has empowered you and myself. We choose. The scary thing is for my children, my grandchildren, from loved ones around me, not everything's in my control. They also have the ability to choose. Now, again, I don't ever want to underplay the impact of righteous influence. The Bible is clear about that. Go study Deuteronomy 6. It'll nail that down real well. But every one of us, man, woman, and child, as we live in this earth and as we grow and go forward, we have to choose who we will serve. God has, has empowered us with that, made us in such a way. It also was a reflection upon some of the limits that we have in prayer. We cannot always expect God to do what we ask, even when we say, according to your will. God will not step across his, his very character. God can't act in a contrary nature to his design and our free will. Not even God steps across that free will as we repeat again. We cannot expect God to work some kind of a miracle in the head of someone. We may have prayed and prayed and prayed for this person. They obey the gospel 20 years, 21 years, 22 years, 25 years, and they haven't obeyed the gospel yet. I cannot expect God to go in and perform a miracle and change their mind to make them do what they are not willing to do. Now, what I can do is I can live in such a way to influence them in righteousness. I can pray to God that he will bring about whatever forces, events that need to take place to, to, to push this person in the direction to make that choice, but they still have to make it. I can pray that, Lord, if it's best for my child or my grandchild, that you want to take my life, if, that, if that's what it takes to wake them up, then, Lord, take my life. We have the power to make requests to God, to do all that He will on His end according to His will. But when everything is said and done by His rule and His creation, by His order of things, we must each choose what we will do. Like I said, that's sort of a scary thing. But that's reality. And I, I just tell you, I, I, I love my children and my grandchildren. They mean more than my heart and my life to me. I do anything I can for them. But only they can choose who they will be 
in the long run. There are many passages, we'll not go to Ezekiel 18, but it is a, it's a great thesis on this idea of individual choice and influences and, and how the righteous can fall and the unrighteous can change. And you see so many things. We use that in, in many, many ways. It also gives us some insight to the idea of accountability. I'll not go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 through 10, but it talks about, young man, get out in the sun and enjoy your life. Follow your heart. But for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. God gives us the power to live life, to do what we need, to follow our heart. But seek Him first, my friend. And understand that when everything is said and done, when it all filters out, I will face God in judgment. And these two chapters bring that to, to focus. And we see the, the idea of accountability just as these young people grow up, just as we have grown up, we choose what we will do. Now, as Christians, we want to encourage people to obey the gospel. We'll do all that we can to help with that. And tonight I'm going to talk about the gospel for a little bit. So if you've got friends or neighbors you want to just hear a simple gospel, tonight's a good night for that because it's going to be a simple lesson. We'll cover a lot of material. But we just want people to know this is what God said we have to do. And so I hope, hope you'll be able to be here and you'll bring someone. It also reflects the justice of punishment. You know, hell is a terrible thing, but it is not a human construct. It's not something that man came up with. It's Jesus in the gospel accounts who speaks of hell. And every time the word Gehenna is used in the New Testament, it's used in the gospel accounts except one time, I believe. And that's in James chapter 3 when it talks about the tongue. It says it's unlawful activity is set on fire by, by the fires of Gehenna. Tells you how God sees this matter of gossip and slander and such things. But all the rest of the times, he, he's talking about it from the idea that we'll stand to face judgment before God and punishment. Certainly, we can look to places like 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5 and see that those who practice such things, talking about sexual impurity, impropriety and immorality and faction and sorcery and all, all kinds of different things there. They'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They'll be sent away from God. But that's not the only thing. In the class this morning, Matthew chapter 7 was uh, made reference to in verses 21 through 23. And we talked about not everyone that calls on me, Lord, Lord. Didn't we not do all kinds of things? We cast out demons. We did all these wonderful works in your name. And he says, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. That word lawless just means working outside the law of God. And I've illustrated that for years. I used to like westerns. I watched westerns. And, and the bad guys ride into town with their six shooters. And they hold up the bank and they shoot a teller. And they ride out of town with the gold. They are outlaws is what we call them because they are working outside of that which is good and lawful and right. Spiritually speaking, we're talking about here that these folks in Matthew 7 are spiritual outlaws. Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me. But what we find is the justice of punishment. If I go to heaven, it will be by the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. But if I go to hell, it's because I deserve it. I sin. It is only by the goodness and the grace of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord, as Romans 6.23 tells us. I don't have any boasting room, but all this, again, as you boil it down, it comes to God's great plan 
His sending of the Christ is making salvation available and your capacity of free will to choose, even this day, who you will serve. Someone said, you can do the will of God if you are willing. And I like that. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. God has provided that. Notice these passages, for whoever is, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the shame, same shall save it. And here are more passages. Whosoever will, whosoever will, let us deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. I want to close with this verse. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the last chapter of the Bible, you may remember verse, verses just a couple past this, verse 18 and 19. If you add or take away from the Word of God, this is the preceding verse here in verse 17. Whosoever will may come. This is from the King James. I'm quoting. And the Spirit and the Bride say come. The Holy Spirit and God's people, the Bride, the church, say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely well what is your will are you willing to follow jesus christ jesus christ is the son of the living god he came to this world he came to the cross to die so that we could have salvation so that if we will choose to do so in christ we can have our sins forgiven if you believe that jesus christ is the son of the living God. He's not simply another lawgiver, another prophet, another good moral man. He's that and much more. He is the son of God. Do you believe that? Are you convicted? God has given ample, overwhelming evidence to demonstrate that that's who Jesus is. Are you willing, are you willing to change your mind about the way you've been living? Are you willing to repent? The Bible calls that. To serve, to follow Christ wherever he leads, making him your Lord and your master confessing him with the mouth to be God's son, and then to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. If you are willing, God certainly is, and he has shown that by the sending of his son, by the offering of the invitations we read right here as the Bible closes, whosoever will may come. This morning, if you're subject, won't you come forward as we stand and sing this wonderful song that's been selected.